0: Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19 this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to ask how many of you realize that we are in our 18th message in Luke. And you believe it? 18 sermons in Luke, that's quite a few for only being five and a half chapters in the book. And there are a few reasons for this. One, Luke is a big book. It is just 24 chapters, but the chapters are really, really long. Every chapter in the book is over 30 verses. Some eclipse 50 verses. Two chapters are over 70 verses. The first chapter has 80 verses. Luke uh, only authored two books, in the New Testament, but he has written more than any other New Testament author, minus, minus Paul. He, he wrote more than John, even though John authored five books. Remember, we studied through the book of Acts. That took us two years to make it through the book of Acts, and at the pace we're going in Luke, it's uh, going to be about that long, if, if not longer, if I don't get going on that, Okay, but it's a good book to be stuck in, isn't it? another reason we're moving at the pace we are is because the gospel books are are jam-packed with rich truths on the person and work and teachings of jesus there is so much to learn about who our our lord is and lessons to be learned from him by by carefully studying what he says and what he does during his earthly ministry i mean Think of some of the rich truths we have learned already to this point. For example, in Luke chapter 1, we learned of Jesus' birth and of the fact that, that that event is historical. There was a time in history, in the fullness of time, we're told, at the absolute right time, at the most opportune time, when God the Son entered into the world He created and became a man in order to redeem mankind. In the story of Jesus and the shepherds, we learn that Jesus is the the promised Messiah who is truly God and truly man, sent to redeem and restore mankind. And we learn that our response is to be like that of the shepherds. We should respond in worship of him and should respond by being faithful witnesses for him. When Jesus is presented in the temple, we, we learn again of Jesus' humble beginnings in that his father and mother could not afford to offer a lamb on behalf of the Lamb of God. Yet we also learn from Simeon and Anna that Jesus is none other than the king of kings who will provide salvation for the repentant and bring judgment for the unregenerate. We, we also learn from Jesus' early days in the temple that he perfectly met the demands of God's command and prioritized his relationship with his heavenly Father above his closest family and Friends, we learn from the ministry of John the Baptist in Luke 3 that the reason Christ came to earth to accomplish salvation is because there is no one good enough to earn a right standing with the living God through their outward acts of religious devotion, and there is no one beyond the reach of saving if they will truly humble themselves, repent of sin, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn through John's baptism of Jesus in Luke 3 that Jesus came to identify with sinners in order to save sinners. We learn from the genealogy of Jesus that he is truly God and truly man, God's promised Messiah and his forever king. We also learn that he has come as the second Adam to provide rescue for sinners. When being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, we learn that Jesus refused to question his father's providence and act in a way that is opposed to his leading. He refused to leave the hard but right path for an easier route to glory. He, He refused to put God to the test, but instead, he took God at his word. He countered the temptation of the enemy with the word of God. He went to the religious leaders in his hometown of Nazareth to share his message of redemption from the scriptures. He showed them from the Old Testament that that the the scriptures, they all point to him, to his great person and work, and he boldly rebuked their unbelief. In Capernaum, we learn that Jesus established his authority through his teaching and by casting out demons and healing the sick with the word. In Luke 5, Jesus demonstrated his sovereignty and creation in the disciples' miraculous catch of fish. He used that miracle to show his disciples the work that the Father sent him to accomplish to seek and save those who are lost and also calls for them to do the same, to be fishers of men. In Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 26, Jesus shows in the healing of the leper and the lame man that he has been sent to bring cleansing to the world wicked and forgiveness and rescue from sin and death we learn that when the unclean encounter the completely clean Messiah the completely clean Messiah is not made unclean but those who are unclean when they encounter the completely clean Messiah are made completely clean Also in Luke 5, we learn that Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that the Jewish religious leaders anticipated. They expected the Messiah to to bypass and even condemn sinners. He told them he did not come to call the righteous, that is the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance he ushered in a celebratory time for his disciples not a time of fasting but a time of feasting and also accomplished a new and better work than the priest of old last week the first part of Luke 6 we also learned that the we learned of the true reason for the Sabbath from the Lord of the Sabbath the Lord Jesus we learned that the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing And not a burden a glorious observance that assists God's people rather than an annoying practice that hinders them we learned of the importance of doing the Lord's day the Lord's way lots and lots of lessons learned about our Lord in these five and a half chapters in Luke and I want you to keep that in mind as we dive into our text for today in verses 12 through 19 there are more beautiful truths to learn about our glorious Lord and Savior from this text that many just gloss over and pass through. They, they view this text as something just to kind of skim over and move in to Christ's sermon. We're going to be there next week, but we're going to camp out in this text this morning. And while this seems to be a repeat of what we've already read about Jesus and Luke, because in this passage, we have him calling his disciples teaching the multitude, healing the sick and the demon-possessed. And while many view this passage just as a transitional text from the narrative portion of Jesus' earthly ministry into his great Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain, as we'll call it, in in Luke's Gospel, there are several important truths we learn from Jesus in this passage as he prepares to call the twelve And in his calling of the twelve and in his further instruction of the twelve of the greater multitude that gathered to hear from him near Capernaum there are lessons to be learned of Jesus today more lessons to be learned in the prayer he prays the disciples he calls the popularity he has the power he possesses and in the compassion that he shows first notice the lessons learned from the prayer Jesus prays. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, now these days means during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, right? When he's still ministering in the north during his ministry in Galilee. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. This is right before Christ chooses his disciples When he's getting ready to select them and call for them to follow him, before he does that, Jesus stays up the entire night praying. And a a very clear lesson for us as individual believers and for us corporately as a church here is that we learn the important role that prayer plays in the decisions we make as individual believers and as a church. The, The important role that prayer plays in the leaders we appoint in the pastors we call to serve, in the staff that we hire, in the people we appoint to teach classes on Sunday morning in the ministries of this church. If Jesus spent the night praying for decisions like these, how much more so should we, right? Luke highlights the importance of prayer in the life of Jesus Throughout his gospel before major events in Jesus's earthly ministry before making important decisions we are told that Jesus prayed for example he was praying when he was baptized by John at the beginning of his earthly ministry we know he was praying in the wilderness while being tempted by Satan he prayed here in Luke 6 before selecting his disciples he prayed with his disciples before he asked them the crucial question In Luke chapter 9, who do the crowd say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He prays with Peter, James, and John before his transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. He prays before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22. And get this, you got to get this. The reason prayer precedes all the major events in Jesus' life and the major decisions he makes is because. Prayer was common everyday practice in the life of Jesus during his earthly ministry Some hear this and they think man, I need to start I need to start praying before major events and decisions in my life No, what you need to start doing is praying On a regular basis Devote yourself to the practice As Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 If you would become disciplined in the practice of prayer, bringing all matters great and and small to the Lord, you will not neglect the major events, praying before those major events and decisions in your life. It will just happen naturally because prayer is common practice in your life. It's very practical, isn't it? This is the way it was with Jesus And notice how there are certain times when his disciples are with him praying. Even at Gethsemane, Gethsemane, though Christ is, is a little ways away by himself, he visits his disciples nearby and encourages them to pray. For those of you discipling young men and women here in the church and outside the church, prayer needs to be a practice that you model for them so that prayer Is a common practice for them as well just like it is for you believers to grow in godliness to be equipped to face and maneuver through the difficulties that we face in this fallen sin-stained world in which we live in a way that brings glory to God we must go forward on our knees prayer must be a common practice in our spiritual lives Notice, next, the lessons learned from the disciples Jesus calls. Look at verses 13 through 16. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose them from the twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus prays all night. And when day came, he, he called the twelve. And while some just sort of gloss over this List of names, I believe a bit too quickly. There are others who I think linger a bit too long belaboring the list of names here. There have been books written on these list of names, which is pretty difficult with some of the disciples because there's a lot of speculation that has to take place because with some of them, all you have is their names. Right? Now, they're listed a number of times in Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Acts 1. But, but for some, that's all you have. There are some significant uh, things made about uh, a number of disciples in the group. And, uh, and for some, you have a whole lot more. I want to share with you just a couple of significant things about this group. One, notice that they are a diverse group. Very diverse group. They were made up of fishermen. There was a tax collector and a political zealot called by Christ to be united around him and his gospel. And as this group moves out and as the number of Christ's disciples grows, his people become more and more diverse. Today, God's kingdom is extremely diverse. While you may not notice it in particular congregations in East Texas, the universal number of God's people in his kingdom is extremely diverse. Diverse, And even within certain local bodies today, we see it, diversity on display. Think about it. The church is made up of a diverse group of people, people you would not expect to be friends, people who may have at one time been enemies. It's people with nothing in common but the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel brings them together like nothing else could. We see the beginnings of that in Jesus' Selecting of the disciples Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke says this look at this quote on the screen Jesus's choosing of the 12 reflects a unique diverse group He did not select a homogeneous club. There were fishermen tax collectors and a staunchly political person These are everyday sorts of people showing the grassroots character of Jesus's ministry Their their diversity reflects the work that Jesus is sent to accomplish and the makeup of God's kingdom. And as believers, we ought to celebrate this diversity. The fact that God's kingdom is made up of, of black and white and Hispanic and Asian and Indian and Middle Eastern, young, old, male, female, rich and poor, It's a reason to rejoice, and it it provides the unbelieving and watching world with a strong illustration of God's gospel. When the world witnesses people who are different in every way, whose strongest bond is their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they see the gospel on display. Paul tells us in Ephesians that in Christ, the dividing wall comes crumbling down between races and peoples. We see the beginnings of this in Christ's selection of the disciples. Notice we also see the negative side of this. We see diversity in the form of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Look at the end of that list. Christ called Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each in their list in the gospel accounts with Judas Iscariot, and each include a negative statement made about him, separating him from the rest. And of course, he's omitted from Luke's list in Acts because he's no longer with them. They're very much writing in hindsight. We don't have any clue that any of them thought anything about G- Judas during Jesus' earthly ministry. They were, not, uh, they were not suspect of him, I don't believe. His name now, however, has become synonymous with traitor, and it really still is today. I mean, if you hear someone call someone a Judas, you know what that means, don't you? Judas' presence with the 12 reminds us of this. Now listen, this is important for you to realize. One can be near Jesus and not belong to Him. One could appear to be outwardly in, but be inwardly out. That is true today of many who walk through the doors each and every Sunday. There are some who are close to Christ and His people in proximity, but apart from Him, worlds apart spiritually. It's not just... About being in proximity it's not about making a profession of faith it's about having a possession of faith we got to be changed from the inside out we will be inwardly out right that's another reason why we must pray before appointing leaders in the church as well because we learn from Judas his presence remind us that not only Can wolves make it into the church but also into positions of influence, into positions of leadership? Now, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in his selection of Judas, and his father works providentially through his betrayal, and we see that God's mission is never in jeopardy, even when evildoers like Judas move into positions of influence. That's important for us to remember as well and not get discouraged and lose heart, but for the local church's sake, for God's people's sake, we must have our guard up. Leaders, we must be alert as shepherds of the flock. So they're a diverse group. Notice also they're an unlikely bunch. Most of the disciples chosen were located in the north. Do you know that? In Galilee. That's an unlikely location. When Jesus came to select his disciples, you would have thought that he would have started in the south with the religious leaders in the temple in Jerusalem. He did not. He bypassed the temple in Jerusalem. Instead, he went to a hot fishing spot near Capernaum. He didn't even go to the synagogues. He didn't go to the religious leaders at all. He went to fishermen. He went to a tax collector. He went to a political zealot. While ministering in Capernaum, Jesus calls Andrew, Peter, James, John, Levi, known as Matthew. Most of the rest are thought to have lived in the north as well. There was only one from the south. Do you know who that was? Judas Iscariot His name means His last name means From the town of Kerioth, Which was a southern town town in southern Judah Making Judas the only Non-Galilean of the bunch He was a southern boy Which may have explained his corruption May have explained uh, Some of his crooked connections That he had in Jerusalem But an unlikely bunch, right? They were chosen from a larger group of disciples whom we'll talk about in just a moment. They were the ones who were chosen to launch and lead the church. They were the ones appointed to be the evangelists and the preachers, the missionaries in the early church. It was their spirit-inspired teaching that would be the, the focus of leaders in the early church. It would be their teaching that Christ followers in the early church in us today would be devoted to and committed to following. Again, think of who they are. Fishermen, tax collectors, sinners saved by grace. Reminding us again that God's kingdom story is an unlikely story. It is. These unknown, unlikely individuals who were overlooked by many in their day were God's chosen instruments. And this is always the way it is in God's kingdom story, folks. You realize that? The world looks at people like Peter and James and John and Matthew and Thomas and Philip, you and me, and says, not important, insignificant, not worth mentioning. Am I right? Not true in God's economy. He calls tax collectors, he commissions fishermen. He calls nobodies from nowhere to know him and equips them to make him known everywhere. That's your truth for the week. While the world may view you and me as being unimportant and insignificant, folks, in God's kingdom the unlikely are chosen and they're used in mighty ways. One more thing before we move on. Notice how many were selected. How many? Disciples. Disciples. What's the number? How many of them were there? Twelve, right? Not by accident. How many tribes were there in Israel? Twelve. Jesus is forming the nucleus for a new nation. Listen to what Ligon Duncan said about it. He explained that in choosing the twelve, this is what Jesus is saying. I am building a new people of God. And I'm going to take them into the promised land, just like Moses led the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land. So also, I'm building a new people of God, not only from the remnant of Israel, but from Gentiles, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, men and women, boys and girls, all of them trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm going to lead them into the promised land. Lots of lessons to be learned from the choosing of the twelve, Notice the lessons to be learned from the popularity that Jesus has. Next point. Look at verse 17 and 18. And he came down with them and stood on a level place. Now, it's an elevated place, but a level place. That's where he's going to preach. That's why I called it the, the Sermon on the Plain. He's on the Mount still. It's the same account as in Matthew, but, but we, we're told he's at a level place. I know I'm splitting hairs here. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So notice, great crowd of Jesus' disciples, great multitude of people in general, tons of people gathered. Remember at one time during Jesus' earthly ministry, there were 5,000 men in one place, not including women and children, and Jesus miraculously feeds them. We're told at the beginning of Luke 5 that a good-sized crowd had gathered around Jesus on the shore of the lake of Gennesaret, and they were pressing in on him and so he gets out in a boat and pushes out a bit from the shore so he can properly project and preach to the entire crowd we're told here he was in an elevated place he comes down to them to communicate with them and and a lot of people have gathered and they have gathered from all over there are people from the area remember he was ministering in Galilee at the time folks from the south from Jerusalem from all Judea that just means all over Israel and outside of Israel from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre was located up from Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and Sidon was even further up. So tons of people have gathered from all over Israel and beyond. Why have they gathered? Luke tells us, verse 18, to hear from Jesus and be healed of their diseases. So word is traveled about Jesus' teaching and his miracle-working here. And they've come from all over to witness this truth-speaking, miracle-working man. And notice how they're categorized. This is important for you to remember because we're going to move into the Sermon on the Mount next week so you'll know who his audience is. We're going to learn who they are right here so you'll understand why Jesus says what he does during his sermon three groups of people the apostles are there we're, we're told that at the beginning of verse 17 that they came down with Jesus Jesus selected them they were up they came down together so they're there after uh, calling them comes down with them remember the apostles there, the sent ones the the, the ones called by Christ to go out and preach his gospel message. While we said in the previous point that they were common men, they had an unusual calling on their lives. They are the the preachers of of the kingdom of God. They're appointed by Christ to take the gospel message and saturate Jerusalem with it, which they do. They establish the first churches and they lead the church to expand God's kingdom. Very important group of people. The second group are known as Jesus' disciples here. We're told a great number of Jesus' disciples had gathered. The word disciple just means a a group of learners, those gathered to be instructed by Jesus. So you have the messengers of the gospel, the apostles, those willing to follow Jesus. You have the learners of the gospel, those longing to be instructed by Jesus, and then a third group, which is just a larger number of, of curious uncommitted, inquisitive, and we'll learn in the upcoming weeks, skeptical people who were there to learn more of Jesus. No doubt they had heard of him, how he had astonished the, the religious leaders in Capernaum with this teaching and had mesmerized others by his miraculous healing power. He cast out demons, healed the sick with the word, no doubt many of them had, had heard these stories. They had traveled long distances, many of them, to see Jesus, hear from him, touch him, and be healed by him. So we see the popularity of Jesus here. The, the multitude were gathered. For a number of reasons, some were already committed to follow him. Others longed to sit under his teaching more and learn from him. Some simply gathered because they selfishly wanted something from him. Some were inquiring of him, longed to know more about him. Others refused to believe on him and follow him. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here? Why have you come into this place? To gather together are you here because you're a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and because you want to be better equipped to serve the Lord if so here's my prayer for you my prayer for you is that you would leave here more equipped than when you came in each and every week my, my prayer for you is that God would prepare you each and every Sunday to go out from this place, to go and make an impact for him, for his kingdom, advance his kingdom work in your home, in the community, in the workplace, in the schools, by boldly pushing back the darkness in this world with the light of God's gospel. That's my prayer for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're young in your faith in the infant stages of your spiritual life and you're here and you want to grow in your knowledge of God so you can be more faithful to be who God has called for you to be and live the way he has called for you to live my my prayer for you is that God would instruct your mind each and every Sunday and prepare your hearts to follow him i pray that you would grow in godliness through the ministries of this church through the preaching and teaching of the word through the power of his indwelling spirit and that God would open doors for you in ministry and that you would faithfully walk through those doors in obedience and make Him known. If the only reason you're here is because you want something from Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would see that God has given you everything by sending you His Son to live, die, And rise again and I pray that your heart and your mind would be open to that truth and that you would love God for sending his son and that you would trust in him alone for your salvation if you're here and you're skeptical of Jesus and unbelieving I pray the Spirit of God would open your heart and mind to him through his word that you would see your sinfulness and your need for what God has accomplished for you on your behalf through his son Jesus and that you would forsake your sin and bow the knee to King Jesus today. Why are you here? Answer this question today. So, we have learned lessons from the prayer Jesus prays, the disciples he calls, the popularity that he has. Now notice the lessons learned from the power Jesus possesses and the compassion that he shows. Look at verses 18 and 19. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. That sounds familiar, right? Learn another story about a woman touching his garment, coming up in Luke. As we said when we were in the latter half of Luke 4, Christ has all authority, authority in both word and deed. He astonishes with his teaching. He speaks with authority on what he has seen and heard because he is God the Son. He has come from heaven to earth to make known the truth of who God is and who we are in his gospel message. He also amazes with the miracles that he performs. He, he demonstrates his authority over the, over the spiritual realm as well as the earthly, earthly realm by, by casting out, out demons with the word and by healing the sick. Here we're told that those in the crowd who were troubled with unclean spirits were healed by Christ. And we're also told that those who were sick who sought to touch Christ, they did and they were healed by the power that went out from him. That is power right there, isn't it? How does he have this kind of power? He's God the Son, the creator of all, the, the ruler over all, the ruler over the spiritual realm, the ruler over the earthly realm. That's why he can cast out demons with ease, heal with a word or a simple touch. And get this, why does he do this? to reveal the work he came to accomplish in salvation and because he is a gracious, merciful, loving, compassionate Savior. God created us for himself to live for him in his glory and we turned away from him. We rejected him. We went at life on our own, opposed to him. And how did God respond? By sending his son. And Christ came willingly to right all that we have wronged. He showed mercy and compassion to us while we were undeserving. He loved us. He gave Himself for us. He came to fix what we broke, to right every wrong, to cast out evil, heal sickness, forgive sin, to conquer death. That's what these miraculous works show us. That's what they reveal to us. He came to heal. He came to forgive he came to save he came to restore have you been healed from spiritual sickness the sickness of sin have you been forgiven for your rebellion have you been saved from sin death and judgment have you been restored to a right relationship with the living God through repentance of sin and faith in Christ if not Now is the time. Today is the day to be restored. I pray, I urge you, if you have not, forsake your sin today and bow the knee to King Jesus and be saved. Let's pray together.